You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. WA. This is the World Football Programme. My name is Sean Kelly and I'm with you for the next two hours. Thanks to the Celtic Ramblings crew for being before me. A wonderful show. Very busy in the studio when I walked in this morning. Joining me on, on the studio as my co-host today is Lou Prospero. Long time no see. Lou, good to have you back. Yeah, where have you been, Sean? I've been here. Where have <laughs> you been? <laughs> Apart from volunteering at the World Cup and Hall of Fame and a whole load of other things that you do. Yeah, no, it's um, very exciting working with the volunteers at the airport and also at the stadium. Yeah. And uh, and there's more to come. You're volunteering again in the Olympic qualifiers. So wow. there's just exciting amount of football at the moment. Oh, locally. yeah, look, it's so the end of the fantastic. season, but we're... we're Glory in. starting. Yeah, everything's starting. going, isn't it? Never ending. All right, on today's show, we are going to be joined, who is in Australia already, is Tony Campbell and one of his young charges from the state schoolboys side. Then we're going to follow it up with Morris O'Teary from Fremantle. We're going to talk about their rise to the MPL. Uh, Perry Alati, who is the general manager operations for Football West, will join us and talk about his 18-month tenure. And then we'll follow it out with Hayley Roach, who is the lost lioness, and she is the uh, the whiz behind um, English women's football. So we'll be talking to her about well a bit of a, a wrap-up on her World Cup experiences, but also then about the, the new league that's starting over there in England. Um, something been near your heart last night, Lou? Referee awards? Yes, the referees awards um, in the Australian Cup final. We've got two local uh, guys who are going to be officiating at the um, the final, which is fantastic. 
And the uh, golden whistle went out to two separate men's and win, uh, women's winners. So that was great as well. It was the first time that's happened. Yeah. Um, and I think Jasmine Brewer got the, um, the women's golden whistle with Stuart Beatty getting the men's golden whistle. Yeah. So it's good to see that we've got up and coming talent coming through on the, on the referees technical committee as well. Cause yeah. we've got nothing else to do. <laughs> um, but look, uh, we need more referees, of course. Yeah. Um, we're still short, uh, but with the, you know, they talk about two two teams on the pitch is always three. You know, without the referees, you can't have a game. So no, exactly. We need to have more um, and we need to respect them. Yeah, and we might talk a little bit more about referees, VAR and other things that are going on out there. When we... Don't talk about VAR. Ah, no, it's there. It's there. No, I can't stand it either. I think Kenny Lowe still has the. When I interviewed Kenny a while ago, had the best thing on on VAR. He says it takes the the second, or sorry, the decision made by a flawed individual in one millisecond um, and puts it into a studio, whereas another flawed individual with 35 camera angles and two minutes to make the wrong decision. (laughs) (laughs) Look, uh, I think ball over the goal line, if it's a goal or not, I think that's that's the extremity to go. That technology is black and white. Yeah. It works in tennis. It works everywhere. Yeah. The ball is, is out or in. That's it. Uh, no arguments. But there's so many variations um, when we talk about offside. And I think this whole thing about replaying a game, just talk about sporting integrity, should never, ever be replayed. Referee's decision is it. It's and final. That's yeah, it's what, final. That's the very first sentence in Law 5. Yeah. But, you know, it's not like Liverpool were the first team to ever get a bad call on a VAR. <laughs> I, think, I think on the table last year, they were the team that benefited most from VAR. And uh, I think West Ham... What were, are you trying to say there, Sean? Liverpool. <laughs> VAR pool. Yeah, that's what they are. No worries. Um, and my team was actually down the other end of the table and had the least benefit from VAR. So, Well, you know, the, when you're bottom of the table, you're the strongest team because you're holding the rest up. Well, we're up there. We're up at the top now, so we don't care anymore. <laughs> that was last season. So last season, it's gone. All right. So we're going to... Oh, I too, I did drive past the Spanish club this morning on the way in. Um, that looks very busy out there. They've got the Perth Amateur World Cup. Yes, that's right. I mean, it's good to have the World Cup. Um Apparently, there's more attendance to that than the normal cup finals. So, <laughs> Look, know, it's a big it's day. They, it's a big day. They've got juniors, they've got seniors, and they've got... Um, well, people are passionate masters. about their country, right? So yeah. that's why they're there. Oh, look, it's great. Just great to see people out playing football in this weather. It's wonderful, and I think it's great that we, we can actually do something um, during the season. So we'll go to a break. We'll be back after this with TC and... Taylor. Taylor, yeah. Tyler. Tyler. Tyler, Tyler, there you go. Good American name. All right, we're back after these. Oh, don't relax. I want elbows and backs. I want to see everybody from behind. Oswest Fencing and Royal Iron is a fourth-generation family business. Bring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install, or automate your gates, offer electronic security, or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Raw Tire. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. Now I believe he's gonna work me into the ground. I pull to the left, I keep to the right. I ought to kill him, but it wouldn't be right. 
right, just a little short break, but joining us in the studio now is TC and one of his team, Tyler. Um, TC took a, a team of state schoolboys over east for the, the national championship. So, um, TC, tell us all. Yeah, how are you doing? I actually thought we were going to talk about the Champions League after after the certain performances midweek. Mate, but, I, th- uh, I thought Newcastle did extremely well. No, wonderful. And no, no one ever saw Paris Saint-Germain going that way. It's brilliant. Yes, Love it. Yes, but yeah. uh, I'm that's enough about Newcastle. Let's, let's, let's talk about the real football. Yeah, we'll talk about real football. We'll get to that uh, maybe at the end if we've got a couple of minutes. Um, yeah, so we uh, went over uh, a couple of weeks ago to the uh, state uh, schoolboys uh, championships under under sixteen, and uh, got Tyler here who was uh, one of our attacking mids. Um, well, one of our attacking players, not necessarily midfield. He was he sort of played in a few different positions. Um, uh, to come in and give his perspective as a player, yeah, and and so forth. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a good tournament. Um, so so un- under sixteen. So um, what were the, the the teams you were playing against? What sort of guys did they have up against you? Were some of them from A League teams or from? Oh look, I'll I'll um, I'll sort of mention who we're playing, but Tyler can sort of give you a, sort of an indication of what it was like on the field. But um, yeah, so obviously it was all the main states minus uh, Northern Territory and Tasmania. And it was just just the one-off team, so no no sort of New South Wales Metro, New South Wales Blue, New South Wales this, that, and the other. It, it was just straightforward, the best sixteen. So, yeah, um, very strong players, very strong players um, for you know, especially those from New South Wales. You know, they're already playing eighteen. Some of them, uh, Resi's is sort of the NPL level in New South Wales, which, as we know, is. It's strong. It's, it's very, very yeah. strong. You know, it's 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 exceptionally strong. It's it's effectively the second division of the A League. Um, so, level wise, what would you say for the development of football in in our country? Is it looking good? Um, in in some aspects, I think there's um, it's look. There's some very good players. I've always said that, and I think um, I think over east, I think. Um, D- Development-wise, I think they're sort of ahead of the game in WA. But we've talked about this about this before, um, mm. and that's not to take away from Tyler, who's obviously going to have a, ch- a speak in a second. Yeah. Um, but as you know, we just I think um, we just you know as we said before, we just our players aren't prepared to go over there and play against that level because our level here isn't is is not doing them any favors. Isn't really pushing. Is, is it like the Tyler. is it the level or is it the the reticence of of teams or clubs or players to to play up. It's a system. You know, I look. I my youngest was fourteen when he played in the senior league in Albany, but that's where he to get the competition he needed. That's what he had to do. And he was playing against thirty year old men in that, but he needed that because he wasn't getting pushed in the league he was in. Mm. So he he played that. We, as you know. At uh, the club, we have a, a, str- a strategy, if you're good enough, you're old enough. And we have boys of 15, 16, in, in some cases 14, playing in our under-18s. And then we've had them going up into the resis and first team at those ages, 16, 17 and 18. So um, is that something we should be looking more oh, at to get the boys every, a competition? Every one of these, Tyler included, I can't, I can't believe that he was still playing 16s as well as probably 8 or 9 them because... The players we took across are very, very good players. You know, yeah, are, 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 technically are, good, technically good, and yeah. and, and but um, to me personally, um, need need to be pushed. Shouldn't be playing sixteens. Mm. Should not be the, the, the quality of the players I took across. Should should be playing a lot high level. Yeah, um, but look, I'll let Tyler sort of say what from his perspective how he found. Well, the well I spoke to um, Alan Stadgic, who's the coach of the Glory, and he was saying that um, technically um, the pl- young players here that he's got within the Glory squad are. 
as good as he's seen anywhere else. It's just the lack of experience playing at, against those bigger bodies and those quicker players. Yeah, I mean, look, what... Yeah, Tyler, so, so Tyler, you, you will just start off with your history. You're obviously a young man who's been playing for a few years. Where, where, where have you come from? What clubs? Or So from under-12s, I've been at Perth Soccer Club. Yep. And I played 12s and 13s NPO. Yeah. From 13s, I went to 15s NPO and 15s to 16s. And then this season, I stayed down for 16s for the last year. So from next season, I'm looking for um, 18s or like resis, something like that. So I'm going to go trial at a few other clubs and see how it goes. Okay. So you, you've been playing quite a while at, yeah. a, at a good level at, yeah. at one of the better clubs as well. Yeah, so yeah. very good club, good coaching, yeah. um, good background. Yeah. Um, so how did you find it when you, you got over there and you, all of a sudden you're facing a New South Wales or a Victorian side? So with the New South Wales side, they... I feel like with the um, New South Wales and Victorian sides, they have a lot more options at trials. Like our trials, we had 300, 400 kids. Their trials, they have 3,000 people. So there's a lot more variety of players and all their academy teams are allowed a trial as well. So Sydney FC, Western Sydney Wanderers, um, Melbourne Victory, they're all allowed a trial for the schoolboys team where here we, the Perth, like Perth Glory is not allowed a trial which is um, a decision that they made, which is a fine decision. Club decision. Yeah, club decision. Yep. But they, they have a lot more variety, so it's a stronger uh, opposition. Yep. But being schoolboys means you've got to pay for a, a school, your school, right? Yeah. So you've got to be picked from a school. So are there a lot of uh, school schools in Perth? Uh, I know there's about three or four that just... Uh, develop football. Yeah, so I'll throw I'll throw that to CT uh, TC. Do, do you need to be within a school program to play for school boys, or do you just need to be of school no, age and going to school? It's oh, you have to obviously go be going to school. Yeah. That's that's the number yeah. one prerequisite. Um, but uh, no, you don't have to be in, in an actual program. It's it's completely open, um, and we want as many trialing out as possible, um, and and you know to give us that that best team there. As I said, don't get me wrong. You know, um, yeah, we, are the players out there that that were that you should have been in that state team or should have tried out that state team? Absolutely. Mm. But having said that, the players that we had there were, were very, very good players. So what's the difference, to clarify, you got the school <clears throat> bullies uh, national tournament and there was just the national tournament recently mm. for the state. That's right. Um, so do they overlap or how do they pick the players all? Well, from our perspective, we'd, we'd like to... Be combine up with Football West. So look, to be part of the school boys, you have to have a, a teacher um, run it. But if you look at the cricket and footy, they have um, the whacker takes a huge. They, they actually the whacker actually send coaches with and help with the selection. So the 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 teacher, the, the coach, who's is, is the ultimate one in charge. But they also have background staff that come from the whacker. The uh, um, AFL do exactly the same. Um, in terms of our sport, um, there is it's. It's completely separate, and that's not from our perspective. We were, I've, I've quite often asked Football West if they want to get involved in selection or even send someone with us, um, and as yet that hasn't been the case. Um, and you know, is that what would you like would to oh, see? Oh, look, happen? I'd love to. I'd love to bring it all together yeah. as one. I'd love to. I'd love to be part. You know, to 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 bring it there. And I don't know the reasons why they're not interested in that. Um, before this year, there was no under 16s state team, yeah. and that was an agreement with FFA. Because uh, we used to be under 19s, and they wanted to bring the um, 
it in line with the under 14s, 15s, and then 16s, and we would do the 16s. Um, and so we, that change was made six or seven years ago, and then for some reason FFA decided to basically renege on that deal and stick an under 16 squad in, um, which then obviously means there's competition, two, two teams competing for players. But I said, for those who can afford it and could afford it, um, there's no reason why we couldn't have players in both. Yeah. Um, but as Tyler mentioned, so Tyler could play in both. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, you know, um, yeah, but the way it, the sort of way it is is that it's those sort of there was discouraged those who were trialing out for this, the football west yeah. not to do the schoolboys, even if they were capable of doing it. And even worse in the NTC, where if you're in the NTC girls, you were told pretty much you have it. Girls are actually told from my understanding that they had a choice if they if they went and played for the state school girls then their place in the NTC was up potentially um, may have been cut from um, now, yeah, yeah I, it's proven that more football means better football so I don't know it's crazy for me yeah, to, exactly. to even consider well, why that why don't you join yeah. one I, so, especially in the nationals I mean look Tyler, uh, again, so uh, without getting too political obviously we, we need to have the, the governing body should have some involvement there needs to be more talking around the, the state teams the makeups of them and then the eligibility of them and I, and I don't like the idea that a club is is blocking the movement because I would have thought it would have been in that club's best interest yeah. to have their best players there and if they've got someone for example a goalkeeper who doesn't make the state side then they'd be looking at the goalkeeper that did and you know we're all looking to mm. improve um, so back to you Tyler how, how do you feel you went against those those players from over east and what were the major differences you saw between yourself and them so i feel that when when from the first game we versus new south wales first which is yep. the best thing for our team to do because it was just like and we all knew they were going to be the strongest team because yep. they've their history they've won it last five ten years they've won it every year so we knew that there was going to be they they were going to be the strongest team and they would even have future Joey players in that team. So we were all prepared from the start. So um I feel like the difference between us and them for argument's sake would be their intensity and 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 pace in the game was way quicker. So they they changed from def- a defensive mode to attack. They they had two breaks where they that that's all they had and they scored two goals from those breaks. So it was just the the quickness and intensity that they had. The game was so much faster that they were playing. And that's because they've experienced like way more opportunities in New South Wales and different levels of NPO and being pushed up to 18s and resis. Like we versed a lot of kids who they, they, they could have been in their Sydney FC um, 18s, 20s team. And they were just, they, they're of age for under 16 and they're the best of their um, age. They were versing us. So hmm. I think you got to... The first um, first couple of minutes in the, I think, the first two or three minutes of the New South Wales game, I think you got a, a rude awakening very early on, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, it was just... What was the result in the end? We we lost 4-5-0, I think it was. 4-0, um, I think. 4-0, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, it was just like... We, we, we could... We, the first 30 to 40 minutes, that first half, we held them off fully. Mm. And it was 1-0 at half time. Yeah. But it was just... they they We had a lapse of comp- concentration... Where that second half, it was just we thought, no, we're still in this, but maybe we just need to like keep the ball a bit, see how it is, and just little mistakes they picked up on, and that's how they scored. We didn't do anything where it was like um, us being worse, way worse than major, them. Major, no, major, nothing major. major. No. It was just little mistakes that we could have avoided, but we didn't, and we just there's a lapse of conf- concentration where 
those mistakes costed goals. Was it uh, level of fitness as well that yeah, you found? Yeah, because they, they kept that high intensity the whole game. Yeah. And normally uh, us in WA, we, we, if I was going to say pressing and stuff, we pick when to press as a team. They were pressing the whole time. And it was just yeah. it was just 80 minutes of like, um, 80 minutes of just like fast-paced games. So. Yeah. So you, you find that, that most even professional footballers, that the... the, the High end teams score in the last five ten minutes yeah. and win the game. Yeah, that's fitness. Yeah, and concentration, of but course. I think, I think um, if you look at the, the, a lot of the goals where we conceded, I think off memory, I would probably say a good proportion were in the last five minutes of of yeah. the first half and second half. That's when we conceded, um, especially. Uh, you I can't mean, Vic- switch off. Well, Victoria. I mean, Victoria for thirty minutes in the last game, we I think we, we were all over them, weren't we? Yeah. And, same with Queensland. And same with Queensland and. Um, but definitely Victoria, and they had one chance. It was a, it wasn't even really a mistake. It was yeah, it was a really really small little thing, and went for from thirty minutes they didn't have a shot. By the thirty fifth minute they were three 0 up. Wow! And it was just again just in that last ten minutes of, of the half, um, that's when we just seemed, seemed to concede goals. Same against New South Wales. Hmm. Same against um, I think uh, South Australia. Their second goal was in the last couple of minutes after we just equalised. Um, so yeah, as Tyler said, it's it's. Managing that consistency, and the one Tyler, it was in the first couple of minutes he learned a lesson against New South, New South Wales. He got a touch in the ball. There wasn't a lot of movement going forward. He took a second, a third touch. By the time he took a third touch, it was four New South Wales boys, yeah. and they just swamped him. Yeah. And 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 he, <laughs> and I think it was just that shock of shock of that level of pressure that you there was there was no seconds. Yeah. There was no seconds on the ball. You had to, you had to move and you had to make a decision. Yeah. But um, but as a coach who's who's done exactly what we've, we've talked about, you know, playing under-14s in the under-18s. Um, you've seen that with, with kids that have taken that step, that they've um, taken a little while to adjust because it is so quick. And, you know, when you're playing in your own age group and you are one of the, the more elite players, um, you look like you have so much time because, you know, you can take the second or the third or even the fourth touch and you're still making room and you're still making space. Um, but when you go into those higher leagues or the more competitive leagues, um, you do get closed down a hell of a lot quicker. And I suppose that's what we're talking about is getting the used to that pressure. Um, physically, how did you feel? Were they were they physically bigger? Were they more physical? At the- well, our, our WA team was the biggest team out of all the teams. Wow, we had kids from six foot five. Yeah, to. They, our whole backline was probably averaging six foot three. So yeah. we were a very physical team, and no one was scared to put a tackle in. Everyone wanted, like, yeah. was like wanting to put that tackle in. So the yeah, other teams, I think, never, no. So I think the other teams were physically a bit like they didn't expect it as much from WA, you know? Yeah. But they, when they saw that we were physical, they, they had to step it up physically. Yeah. Technically, we had to step it up, but physically, all the other teams had to step it up, I feel. Yeah. And how did you feel that they they were coached? Did you feel that they were drilled or had been together for a lot longer? Or I feel that they they uh, parts of that team would have been together for yeah. a long time and drilled like wise. They they would have been coached the basics from a lot younger age. Yeah, like here our team probably would have been taught. Like me personally, I was taught the basics at around. We, it was just, from a young age, it was just about having fun, scoring goals, you know. And once I hit to 11s or 12s, that's when it was 
um, like starting to learn yeah, the basics. Yeah, no, that's a skills acquisition that. phase that we have here is to make the game fun and, and in, in my opinion you make older. you love the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because if we don't make people love the game, then they're just playing it. But, but they they were taught like the basics of scanning, uh, two-touch football, all that stuff from yeah. a younger age. And that's why they were so technically better because they've, they've known that for a longer time and it's more natural for them. Hmm. Well, what I've noticed over the years, though, with the youth coming through, you know, obviously there's a standout like Tim Cahill. Yeah. He has a killer instinct. He, he's never going to be second to the ball. He's always going to be the first. He couldn't care how strong or how, how hard the other tackle's going to come in against him. Yeah. Is that something that you feel within the team that you need to be a bit more passionate about? I feel like... Our team was very passionate about that. Everyone in our team was always trying to get to that ball first because we knew that we had to... That's the way that we, we knew we were physically better than everyone else. So that's how we had to use that to our advantage and go in for a tackle, win the ball, and then reset. Yeah. Mm. So everyone knew that from the start. After the first game, which was New South Wales, that's when everyone really turned it up physically because yeah. we, we have this size, we have this strength, and that's what we had to use. Maybe you shouldn't have played them first, maybe yeah. towards the end, to, just to build your confidence. How did yeah. you go against the other states and territories? We, we did very well. The second game, we beat ACT. Um, the third game, it was just Queensland, was it? Yes. And that was very close. It was like, it was a um, 75th minute out of 80 minute game. That's when they scored their goal. And, and that's how we lost. And again, just with the, with that, the, the, the example of what you know, Tyler's saying, um, because I said the, the, the effort and the attitude was, was second and I, could, I couldn't question about that. But again, it came down to, it came down to missed chances because we did have chances. Um, um, but the biggest thing was just, again, those small mistakes. And even just the Queensland thing, it was just uh, right back was having a great game, shut down their winger, um, their full back was overlapping and he just pulled away from the winger, allowed the turn, who then played the full back. And they still had to make a couple of passes, but that one little error... And it's a tiny one. It's, yeah, it's a tiny it one. Take yeah. much. And they, they they jumped on it. Oh, absolutely. No, look, and that's elite football for you. But um, overall, how did you, you rate yourself and the team in the competition? You you feel that you, you gave as good as you could give? Me personally, I feel that. I gave my all and I feel like all the other boys in the team also gave their all because they knew that it wasn't going to be easy from the start. Like... TC, he prepared us. He was like, you guys got to be ready. You can't just think it's going to be like a mm. walk in the park. It's going to be the best of the best in Australia. So there's going to be scouts watching as well. It's just like it was a big, big competition. And that's why everyone gave their all. And One game a day? Yeah. Yeah, one game mm-hmm. a day. So it's, five it's, days, so. Yeah. it's tiring, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you don't do that normally. You, yeah. you play once a week. You yeah. train twice a yeah. week. Yeah. So. Yeah. Look, we never we never had any. We all were fully fit toward the. We actually like compared to last year when we played. And this is when you said about playing New South Wales. Sometimes playing them first because they're not. Because with New South Wales, they actually come together on that day. As Charles says, some of them play together, but they don't really do anything. It's just literally a collection. Mm. So they're actually a little bit sometimes a little bit disjointed, not ready. They actually get better as the week goes on. But um, last year when we played, we had played New South Wales and we were down to. 11 and a half players at the start of the game and then down to effectively 10 and a half yeah. by the second half. Well, this year we, they were all, everyone was fit, I think. Yeah. I think, yeah. I don't, I don't, I think everyone. So how, how big's the squad? Uh, squad of 16. Yeah. So, so if there's any injuries, you, mm. you're covered. 
Yeah, so, we actually had two pullouts. Back to Tyler again. Um, just in your opinion, how, how did you find TC as a coach? He's not listening, so you can say whatever you like about him. And, and what do you think were his flaws? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was a very good coach. Like, he, he, some, like, he knew that we, we had to be rested from the start. So we went down to New South Wales. And once it was coming of time, he would pull like most of the stronger players off to rest yep. them for the next day. They would think, "Why, why, why are we getting pulled off?" But it was it was more um, of a strat, strat, strategy. Yeah, it was, strategy. Game, it was game management. Yeah, isn't it? yeah no, because you gotta, by yeah. the fifth game, we were all good. Spent. Yeah, we were we were obviously tired from the five games, but we were all good to carry on. You mm. know, and uh, that was like a good thing. Yeah. Now, for yourself, moving forward, have you identified things that you yourself need to work yeah. on and, and get better at? So and then what's your plan to, to improve on then? Ever since I got back, I've been uh, – I've watched the games back a few times. And it's like I feel like I need to release the ball a bit quicker sometimes because in WA I can dribble, 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 dribble and get an assist or a goal or something. But there I tried doing it, like he said, against New South Wales – first touch the game I got the ball I had space to dribble I went and started dribbling and four of them came on me so it's just like try to keep it two three touches there's a time and a place to dribble and it's just like you also I worked on my scanning a lot yeah um so just so always be aware of where I am on the pitch because in WA football it's like you can scan once or twice and you'll be fine but they're over over um, in Canberra we had to non-stop scanning our head always had to be turning because it's just you don't know when they're going to pounce on you. Hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's it, yeah. Overall, you, you enjoyed the experience. Well, yeah, it was a great experience. Brilliant. But you're always learning those sort of tournaments. Yeah, yeah. Well. I learned a lot. So yeah. that's, that's, that's what it was there for, to learn and develop yourself as a player and get an insight to what other, other states' football level is like. So. Hmm. And, CC, just going back, you, obviously you've got um, limited selection because not – Everybody's eligible is, is at school, and obviously there's some clubs and enterprises saying don't go. But um, from your perspective, um, happy with the group of boys that you took um, because they were 100% committed, obviously. But you mentioned earlier on about the cohesion, um, and the, it sounds like the state school boys sits outside anything else. How does that get brought back into the main mainstream? And no idea. <laughs> okay. I'd love to know. I'd love to know the answer to that question. Um, as I said, I, I wouldn't replay. I wouldn't have, you know, after, with, with that too, because it, it wasn't just uh, good quality players we had. It was just the group was good and their attitude was good. And um, you know, even though we lost two just before we left, we had two very very late replacements, and they were two younger boys. Mm. Um, that again, it, it was amazing with the group, the support they gave the younger boys. Those two younger boys were just coming in because they could have just been ostracised. Yeah. Um, so. Yes, you, you know there was those. If if we if those two younger ones did struggle early on, and and but as they got as they got in, they got more into it and the support of the players. Um, and yes, if we had a couple of maybe the players we originally had, um, we could have been that even probably that close to pushing for a medal. But as you said, it's it's about that experience and how do we bring it in so you know we can we can we can have that strongest team and how you know we can compete. Yeah. And just maybe go that extra step because I said I think we're only really two two players, you know. And don't get me wrong; those two younger ones hopefully will try out next year, and and they'll be all the better. And they'll be better for the experience. Yeah. So look, don't get me wrong; I'm not saying um, that uh, you know, yeah, that they didn't do a good job. 
Um, but it was very, it was a hard, very hard lesson for those two. But how do we bring them all involved and get Football West involved and everything like that? I, I, I really don't know. Because yeah. from our perspective, that's what we want. We want to be fully ingrained with Football West. Because um, for mine, I know because I, I, I know you and I've seen the posts go up that there's not an awful lot of pushing or advertising for the trials. There's a couple of things on Facebook. Um, but, you know, I don't see Football West pushing anything. I don't see anything coming out through the clubs um, or the schools. So, um, but, you know, obviously because you're in that field, yeah. you, you probably have a different viewpoint. Um, no, no, it's, 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 it's literally me posting yeah. on Facebook, um, schools put advertising on the yeah. site and sending it to schools. I mean, Tal, how did you, how were you aware of it? Of the, the school sports? Yeah. yeah. So... I the year before I missed trials because I wanted to trial last year and I, I said to my mom just keep an eye out on Facebook if you can because I don't use Facebook and so when it was time she, she was just looking around on Facebook saw the ad and I was like yeah I want to trial so how did you know about it last year? last year because um, kids in my team went and trialed for it Yeah. so they, they, they went and trialed for it but didn't say anything some of them no <laughs> yeah, so they like, yeah. no. well, no, let me guess out. the attacking midfielders the ones that kept quiet no but look I, I think it's an important part because um, I know when, when my kids were school age um, they didn't actually know about it and probably could have at least trialed and probably would have trialed and maybe one or two of them would have made it but um, you know it, it seems to be on, on the download not too many people seem to know about it and I suppose that's the biggest thing obviously you've got a school network which would be pushing it mm. or not uh, it, it depends. Um, it depends. Yes, yes and no. Um, yeah. It comes down to uh, which schools. Like if we've got a um, if is uh, if is who's an AFL. Yeah. You know whether it goes to them. Sometimes they don't put the message out there. Yeah. Um, so it all depends on on, on the teachers in the right. schools and how they promote it. Um, so look, yeah. Look, we, we you know we do we also try and contact the clubs as well to the yeah. best we can. Um, but we want to get a look. To be fair, the last couple of years we've had more trialling out than probably mm. ever before. Um, so you've got next year's coming up, uh, obviously. Is there anything you would say to, now we're in the close season, for lads who are, say, 14, 15, 16, looking to be in that squad next year, what would you advise them to do in that time? Because if they're in a, a 15s going to 16s next year, um, yeah, what, what would your advice be? Um, well, look, next year's um, in WA. Yep. Um, so we really, you know, want to have, we should be having the strongest possible team we can get out there. Yep. And every time we've won a medal has generally been in WA. I'm not trying to put pressure on yep. me. Well, well they've got to, I'm still having been offered the job again. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just something yeah. you put in the water when they come and visit, is it? Yeah, well, we try and do, you know, the, you know, the bands outside their hotel yeah. and, you know. I know, look, I'm just thinking, there's obviously kids everywhere. There's kids from Albany, Bustleton, Bunbury. We've had mm. some very strong players from those areas. Did you have any country boys playing? We did have a couple come from yeah. Geraldton down. Um, so we had, oh, sorry, yeah. so we have the districts trials. Yeah. So we have the districts first, um, which is, um, we have five regions for there. We would try, like to get a country, but it's getting someone from the country to actually run it again. It's, there's, oh, no, yeah. there's no money available Well, you'd probably no. pick them from country week as well, wouldn't you? Uh, no. Have a good uh, week. No, country week's the week after. Yeah, so it's, it's yeah, timing-wise, it's not... Yeah, good. Country Week happens after it. So we do, All right. We do encourage them to come to yeah. the district trials, be involved in the districts. Um, it's a great little competition. It's going to be a bit earlier, so we're going to start promoting it because we're, going to, we're moving the competition forward in WA because yeah. this has all been New South Wales wanting what they want. Now we're going, well, no, we're moving it back to like week two, week three yeah. um, of term three. 
And um, so we're going to be doing the district's trials very early on in term one. We're going to be promoting it this this term. Um, and even if I, if if they put school sport choose not to give me the job, I'll still be running that districts as part of that initial selection. Okay. And um, we'll have that set up. We need, we need to wrap this up now, but obviously keep in touch with us. We will push it out on this radio station as yeah, much as we possibly that. can. Um, thank you for for you coming out this morning, Tyler. Thank you very much for your input. All good. Thank you. No, you've done very well. Thank you. All right, we're going to go to a break, and we'll be back after the break with Morris Atiri from Fremantle. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware, components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman, welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 92586822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. Okay, we're back in the room just as TC and Tyler are leaving. Thank you very much, boys, for being into the studio. And again, joining us in the studio is my next guest, which is Maurice O'Terry from Fremantle. Um, Maurice, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Okay. Um, look, congratulations on the, for the team and the club for achieving MPL status. Um, been a long time in the making. And I think, you know, whilst the, the day itself and the whole experience of the season and getting there is momentous, it, it's a, a pertinent point to look back at all of the elements that have made this possible over the last few years. Now, I've known you a while. Absolutely. And, right. you know... Um, I think if you go back to when you had three very separate clubs all doing their own thing and all competing in the same arenas, one of the, the genius steps was to amalgamate all three in a move that everybody said is not going to work because personal club interest would override everything else. Um, but, you know... The club and, and the clubs that were involved had the, the foresight and the vision to sign up to an agreement which is now still going strong and proven that you were right in those principles very early on. Um, you've wrapped that up quite well, uh, Sean, because <laughs> I think we actually uh, did speak on the first year of formation of the Fremantle we did. Uh, United uh, Soccer Club and, uh, and East Fremantle Glory at the time. Um, look, I unashamedly had no doubt you know, that, it, that it would work. Um, mm. But yes, you have to bring people on the journey with you, and they need to see the steps uh, and the actions and the events that occur in, yeah. in that time as well. And, and you know yourself that people are very um, distrustful of other clubs and the 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 um, ulterior motives that they have. You had three very strong and proud clubs that were two, all actually two. It was the third one being Fremantle City that yeah. was formed out of those two. Yes, yeah, you're right. You know all this better than I do. But, <laughs> but obviously, like, the two clubs that were the, the forefront of it had to put aside some things, and that they've both got very strong histories and, and very strong cultures. And it was just the marriage of those two to, to make the third entity um, that really was the, the making of the success you had on the 29th of September. Or a- 23rd a- absolutely. September, yeah. I, I hold the view that, um, you know, uh, one plus one equals three under the right yeah. circumstances. Okay, and and I think that the committees on both those clubs at the time were open enough to understand that we had that MPL senior pressure occurring where there were memberships that were uh, leaving 
uh, yep. their respective uh, clubs. There, there was no pathway for the triclery uh, boy juniors in, in particular. That's still had a very strong uh, women's and girls uh, competition. And for Fremantle United, it was the other way around. It was a declining membership because of the introduction of NPL. So something had to happen. Otherwise, not so much triclery, but certainly Fremantle United could have gone into you know, obscurity as just a, you know, a beautiful community club, but with a very small membership base. You know, yes. Attached to it. Yeah, absolutely, as have a number of clubs over the years, which is, is a sad thing to see. Um, so from from that, you also were in, involved heavily within the State League Standing Committee and there was a lot of stuff around the formation of the NPL and the um, moratorium on promotion relegation from the NPL, which um, you yourself lit a fire under all those years ago um, and it was your committee and subsequent committees that so got to a point where last year the decision was made that there would be promotion relegation um, and with a, a playoff, so you had the one and a half um, up and down, Correct. which was you know pivotal yeah. in, in where you found yourself um, in that, that promotion battle. So I suppose, look, back then you knew someone would benefit from it um, you always hoped mm. it would be your club. so No, not at all, actually. Oh, we all hoped it was our club. Do, those who know me well know <laughs> yeah. that I look at all the uh, state league clubs as my colleagues. Because it, we're, was we're in, all, it was in the best interest of football. Absolutely. We're, yeah. we're, all, we're all trying to achieve the same thing. Yeah. Um, and, yes, I was on that standing committee for three and a half years. Uh, I think it was about five years ago now that we actually started that process yeah. uh, for that whole playoff. We were able to introduce it into the you know, State League 1, State League 2, which is terrific. And the excitement that those playoffs created just in you know, that whole <laughs> last three, four games of the year was was phenomenal in terms of the crowds and the atmosphere and everyone still playing for something. Um, it's just pure luck that Fremantle has benefited from the – well luck and hard work, really, it has benefited from the decision by Football West to actually mm. uh, implement that playoff. And, look, uh, apart from some conjectures of some things on the side re- regarding other clubs and eligibility to go to the NPL and et cetera, et cetera, um, it's, I'm, I'm thrilled that it's the pure merit of the game Absolutely. that has yeah. prevailed. I just thought it was, it was interesting in that lead-up to the game where people were talking about eligibility to play in NPL mm. and, and the outcomes, and no one had, had even raised the obvious, well, if Fremantle win, all of that becomes null and void. Which... Well, not necessarily, but, <laughs> but hopefully yeah. the, uh, the stone's been put on that uh, issue and we, and we move forward uh, yeah. uh, without any more... Controversy for one of the It's hard though to amalgamate teams together because every club's got their own history and they've got their own followings. And but so I forth. suppose, Lou, this is the beauty of this agreement: is both of those um, foundation clubs have are still there. Their, still their, their histories are still there. Their functions are still there. They still in, uh, independently well, a, like operate a as so clubs. It wasn't, it wasn't amalgamation as such. It was yeah. a creation. It was a joint venture. Yeah. And it was uh, a case of look, don't you know, go in all in without the uh, knowing the the unknown. Hmm. So uh, each club contributed at the beginning, a couple of teams uh, each, and they wanted to see, I guess, the model. Of, well, what are you referring to in terms of what does this Fremantle City Football Club look like? Um, and it's only until, I think, the first year where we set some KPIs of, look, if we can get a full-time technical director in place, mm. if we got junior uh, MPL, uh, if yep. we got an international uh, academy you know, at the club, would you consider a full 
you know, merger. Yeah. And of course, you know, we did get Dominic uh, Ganjimi at the time. Uh, we did get our junior MPL licence in the first uh, year and we had the association with Juventus Academy, uh, which mm. still continues uh, separate to the club currently. Yeah. So, you know, tick, tick, tick. Let's well, it's go. good yeah. database with the main team that you got these two clubs that are feeding the development through of players and coaches. And it stuff. all it all came together as it as it should have. It doesn't always work it, that way. It's no, all been built on well. on good foundations. And yeah. you said you, you brought Dom in as a TD, and and he obviously set up a very good um, system for you. And yes. obviously, as, as coaches and TDs do, you parted company, um, but then. You're still looking around to see what you could get, and you went out and you got yourself another coach in Cam Lord, who's very well credentialed, very professional, and very much into the sports sciences. So again, that's added quality to what you were doing. And then, obviously, for this season uh, with Cam, I think Cam went back to Glory. So then went to Glory for a year, and now yeah. he's um, in Egypt. Uh, yeah. he's actually a um, he's working with one of the uh, subsidiaries of Aston Villa. Um, he was always destined to go somewhere, that boy. He's, he's, he's um, and then you, you brought in Matt Sparrow, who obviously a former professional player, but also a very good coach. And, you know, it, the transition both on and off the field are the important part. Yes, the on-field success has always been building, but it's all supported by what was happening behind. So, Definitely. you know, with, with Dom setting up, the way he did, Cam coming in and doing what he did. It's, you've, you just. I was actually Federica Capuzzo was our TD after yeah. after Dom. And, okay. And then he he brought the junior PL then to another level as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been it's been growth. And Maddie Sparrow was our team captain for for yes. a few years prior to that as well. So he understood the culture. He understood the group. Yeah, and I suppose that's that's where I'm coming from. Yes, the it all seems like it was a wonderful accident on that that day, but it wasn't. <laughs> no. It was it's a, a lot of hard work behind the scenes, um, both on. You know, in directly managing that that team and the club, but also outside with you know influences on the state league committee involvements in that, and, and making all these elements um, come together for the better of football. Yes, and I think on. when you look at what's happened in Division One and Two since they've had that promotion relegation, I think Division One and Division Two have become much much stronger leagues because of it. There's there's always that thing now. There is a real. Um, work ethic to, to not be bottom and even the teams that are finishing in that bottom two are generally not bad sides they've for one or two things ended up in the bottom of the league and it's it is proving to, to be a good um grounding then when you played up against the npl sides um june club didn't look out of place against sorrento no not at all you know and I mean, you look at it five six years ago there would have been i don't know maybe two clubs that would have yeah. you know held their own if they'd gotten promoted you know to the npl and and now this year you know comfortably five even maybe six of the 12 clubs uh, this year yeah um could have you know been competitive as, as well um but yeah the, the gap between npl and, and state league one is not as wide as it was something. No, and look, talking to some MPL coaches, um, they always say, well, you know, because you, you can sign whoever you want, you're not stuck by the, the points rule or the, mm. the, the, the visa rules and all those other things. But, you know, um, to a degree you are because for, for next up. season you've got, to, you've got to be prepared. Then I suppose this is the hard part now is moving into the MPL. We've seen teams go up and come down, June Lup, Forestfield, just to name a couple. Well, um, up have been up and down, Rockingham. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So how do you avoid that and become like Kingsway Olympic? Yeah. Um, 
or um, Sterling. Sterling that you know once you you're back in that league or I mean, in that league top. stay there you know yeah. I think uh, it's a great question it has to be the the same approach where you have to be the simple word is you've got to be ready for it I, I think that some of the clubs that did go up probably weren't as ready as they would have liked to have been whether it be financially administratively um, we'd been building even in the playing group uh, understand it at some point it's going to be this transition you know from say reserves under 20s or under 23s if it, if mm-hmm. it, if it gets up or not and, and even the playing group had to be you know uh, strengthened uh, you know systematically um, and although the visa players are probably the biggest difference in the NPL yeah. with, the, with the points um, I, I guess Sterling and I can't speak for them but I think Sterling and Kingsway they went into their promotion with the, the gung-ho attitude of they weren't going to make up the numbers, they they, they were going to strive for the title and they were they going to put... They proved that too. And they were going to put the uh, the dollars and cents uh, yeah. behind it to, to do it at the same yeah. time. And I in suppose our, in our case, I don't, I don't think it's... A, I definitely don't think it's about money in terms of staying in that league because we've seen other clubs that actually you know splashed out that much money to get into the NPL uh, and then they've got relegated you know within, yeah. within a couple of years so so money won't buy the league money won't buy survival but i think that the right uh, uh, culture and the and the team effort and the desire more than else will will keep you there we've we've been recruiting and interviewing uh, players you know even now you know post season it's one of my key questions that i ask in terms of you know where are they at in terms of desire and if the desire is not to play at that highest level and they want to you know train closer to home and they, they want to get an extra 50 bucks or something then it's like thank you very much you've you've self selected yourself uh, out of consideration <laughs> yeah, yeah. For, for and our i suppose team. that that leads into another another question um, another uh, comment is about the professionalisation of the game in player contracts. Again, something you yourself are very passionate about. Yes. Um, and we see now that the, there's not only has there been a real push by a number of clubs to professionalise and to do things the right way around, but Football West have actually pulled the trigger on a club that didn't. And I think that's a, a very important step um, for the game in this state. Everyone that is in NPL and State League One should be on a professional contract, hands down. And, yeah. and, I, and I've just got the view that any club that uh, claims that they have a, an amateur on their plane in those leagues, um, it's false. You know, it's false mm. because the only reason, I guess, that Football West was able to you know, inflict those uh, penalties against that club in particular is that there would have had to be a whistleblower. Something's come you know, clean. You know, evidence has come forward, you know, mm. for that. Look, it's happened to A-League standard. It's happened sure. elsewhere. So... Um, in your opinion, the, the and mine is that for the the state league and NPL, the point of difference between that and amateur league is they're professional leagues, and everyone should be on professional papers. One hundred percent. And then that way, even if you are only giving them a hundred dollars or one hundred and ten dollars, mm. it's there, it's out in black and white, and it's protecting your investment in that commodity, that player, um, and it's your commitment to them because. The contract is, is binding on both sides. It's got to be transparent as well. I mean, the, yeah. long, the longer we leave it not to do this 100%, we can't then complain when we've got you know, East Coast uh, you know, clubs who've got you know, different player payment uh, budgets, but they're on professional contracts. They need to be because you know, for some of those guys, it's their living. Mm. And, and, and I think that in order to move closer to that, it's not about pokies or anything else like that in the East Coast. They've actually got a you know, bigger population base. They've got you know, better yeah. sponsors. They've got different... That's a whole range of reasons. A whole, yeah. whole range of reasons. 
But the the longer that we stay away from that full commitment towards professional contracts, the more we embed ourselves in remaining amateurs, you know, slash semi pros. Yeah, no, but I agree. First, I, I, look, and I, I have this thing about semi pros. Mm. Um, I don't know anybody that's been semi pregnant. <laughs> you, you, you're either pro or you're not. I just read the semi-professional where it's not your full-time job. No, okay. well, I mean, it's not your primary this, You're a professional mm. some of the time. Yeah. Right? But how is it sustainable for the clubs you know, from a financial standpoint? It's a very difficult situation, isn't it? It depends on the individuals from within the club itself. I'm, look, I'm so passionate. Look, you have people who... Uh, love their boats, you know, and they will spend, you know, <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars uh, on their boat, you know, and there's no monetary return on that. And your cars and your racehorses, you know, any hobby that you have that you pour money into, which you know is just a hobby and you don't get any return on investment, then the individuals that we have at our club in, in particular uh, have that attitude. You know, they don't, they don't put money in and think, right, you know, I'm a sponsor, you know, am I going to be able to get back, you know, 10 grand or 20 grand that I've put, you know, towards the club? No, it's like you've just got to... It's more like a donation from a sponsor's point of view. It, it, Let me tell you, because exactly I sponsor that. myself. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's exactly that, you know. Yeah. And, 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 and for anyone who has, uh, I don't know, any disdain towards, you know, any, any plays, you know, receiving uh, payments of any description... I would suggest that they're probably not players themselves. No, you, know, you, you, you I go do, and do. I the do work not have a problem do. with it. But yeah. what I do have a problem though is when the rules say you can only pay up to this for an amateur, and then over that you have to be on professional papers, and and people go, oh, but we can't afford to, and then pay a player four, five, six, yeah. seven, eight hundred, yeah. and then go, but we can't afford to put him on professional papers. Yeah, you can already afford it. Correct. It's. So why not do it's, it the right way? It's a it's it's a cop out, quite frankly. Of course it is, yeah. and and I don't think there's anybody playing uh, MPL level who isn't over the the basic minimum for. Uh, they all are. Yeah, they all are, and I would say that all the MPL clubs would have all their players on professional contracts. Those that are getting paid over one hundred ten dollars a game. Mm. No, absolutely. Look, and most of those I come into contact are. So very, very few yeah. and far between. But, you know, I suppose, look, from, from your, your club has been one of the leaders within that. Um, very early on, you had professional players. I don't have an issue with, with players being on papers and, and being professionalised. And, again, when we look at Manchester City in the MPL or in the uh, EPL, they can afford better players because they've got more money. And, uh, again, I don't mind that it's, as You've said it's got to be sustainable um, and clubs need to be run as businesses, not as hobbies. And when you're relying on a a generous benefactor who's quite happy to tip in the kids' inheritance Mm. to a game, it's it's a very (laughs) fragile um, place to be. And we've seen a number of clubs over the years. I remember back in the late 80s, um, Swan had a very well-heeled, um, benefactor who was killed in a car crash, oh. and the club suffered. Right. No, it was horrible, you know. Mm, but yeah. but once he was gone, the, the mm. rest of the family weren't as. But that happened a lot in the eighties, yeah. though. I mean, you had a lot of the professional clubs that had one big mm. beneficiary, and the club mm. didn't have the foresight to think. Well, we got to put in a financial model now because God forbid something's going to happen to mm. this person. Yeah, how are we going to sustain the same amount of level financially? And then the uh, A League came, yeah. so the, the crowd's numbers dropped dramatically. So, yeah. Yeah. how do, what, what? Oh, look, and, and I think, you know, we throw in some words like governance, compliance. Um, you know, they've been taboo up until now, but I think mm. they're, they're 
go-tos for a lot of clubs now that it's they've... part of the licensing criteria. It has to be part of the criteria. And then you've got to have a, a proper... Um, uh, a proper um, set of rules. You, know, you, you have all your, your your members set up. You've got to hold your AGMs. There's a whole range of things around how a club is run that still today when I talk to some members of clubs, they don't know that their their club has an AGM. They don't know that they have a vote at that AGM. So well, they should you, you can tell by the turnout, yeah. don't you? It's like, well, like <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I can tell you I was a board member of a, a, a club that had 2,000 members. Yes. We had 25 people turn up. The I agent. know. Yeah, I mean, That's a great turnout. Uh, yeah. Well, because <laughs> well, no, no, when you say 2,000 members, because seriously, you've got – it's primarily players, you know, uh, juniors. Yeah, so, right. yeah. Who just want to play, mm. pay the registration fee, but don't really have a – Interest in how the club is is yeah the run. back end yeah. of the club yeah, yeah. They're, they're not they don't really have a high interest other than those who do have a high interest yeah which is a very small group well absolutely until the, there's equipment that they're not getting or the servicing they're not getting you say to the parents well you can join the committee and help us and it's sort of the hands go up and yeah. it, they've got a you know. The uh, hmm. in, uh, someone else's problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, right. move, so moving forward to yes. next year, obviously you're now, um, and like most people in clubs, busier now than you were during that season. <laughs> Tell me about <laughs> it. <laughs> so Hilton Park um, obviously um, has some some things about it which will need to be addressed. Uh, the only or, thing that needs to be addressed is under the new licensing criteria is we have to put a work order in to uh, build four enclosed uh, cubicles in the change rooms. Yeah. But the ground itself has been NPL compliant, compliant oh, yeah. ever since it's... Yeah. You don't need to have uh, an entry, you know, in charge admission. No. You don't have to have a fence that has, you know, uh, you know, mesh that actually stops the ball from going through. Yeah. It, 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 it ticks the boxes and we've, and we've met the criteria. The amenity itself may not be at the, you know, same level as, and I'll quote my good friend uh, Gary Marocchi in terms yeah. of Perth Soccer Club, you know, having the best amenities and saying, mm. that's fantastic. But it's like a five-star hotel. Yeah. A five-star hotel is such big extremes in terms of opulence to something that's basic. But a five-star hotel is is based on ticking boxes of does it have a cop machine, does it yeah. have you know parking, does it have this, this and that. So, look, Fremantle City complies and we don't charge an entry fee. We'd much rather have 500 people turn up to our games. It'd be interesting because there's a lot of people say, you know, clubs shouldn't charge and the, and the $10 that I'm saving, I'll be able to put over the bar. So it'd be interesting to see how mm-hmm. that goes next year because that's exactly what you will be doing. Exactly. Yeah, um, exactly. You've got the, the little bleacher stands. Are you increasing the level of those or are you doing anything? No. Don't need to. No. no. It's 120 seats. It's all we need. Wow. Yeah. yeah. No, look, it's good. I, I think it's it's great that you're, you're in there and, and breaking some of those barriers. Um, it's, yeah, again, just about staying there. Isn't may, there? may have to wait until uh, Fremantle City Council upgrades uh, Canal and Reserve and puts a new stadium uh, seating down there and then we'll be able to uh, go down there and play our games. Who knows? Co-share yeah. with glory. Anything's possible. Oh, the co-sharing with glory could work, yeah. 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 I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, are they? And does that work at the moment? There's no. That's oh, fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah. They, you know, they don't trouble us. We don't trouble them. We can. We barely know they're there. Quite frankly. So, <laughs> yeah. And um, quite famously, a few years back, you, you were talking ambitions of being an A League club. Has, has that gone away, or is it just hibernating until the right time? Ask me next week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. 
No, look, I, I think it's great to have ambition. It's great to see those ambitions realised. Um, and, you know, we hear clubs talk about five-year plans, ten-year plans. You had a plan, you didn't time-limit it, which was great. Um, as I said, you had all the naysayers at the start. It'll never work. Mm. It's more than worked. It's been an absolute success. Um, you are where you are because of the hard work you've done on and off the park. And I think, you know, Fremantle will need to be congratulated for that. And I think whilst they, the on-field victories are wonderful, um, you know, I know how hard the, the club has worked in the background. And there are other clubs in there, you know, Mel, um, the Western Knights, Mandra, yourselves, um, all pushing very, very hard. And June Lup, yes, another Darnella, one, you know. Murdoch, yeah. you, you name them, they're all, they're all there. That's what I'm saying. They're, yeah. There are half a dozen clubs. Absolutely. More than capable yeah. of competing in that league. But there's even the club in, in Forestfield that was relegated that has a lot of the elements they mm. need to be in the NPL. Um, they've just got to, again, rebuild and, and restructure and, and it will happen. But, you know, it's great to see that the, the emerging clubs that have been locked out for so long are starting to make inroads and stay there. Yes. Do, they show, do you guys share amongst yourselves, these clubs who are emerging, the successes that you are, have, the downfalls you're having? So you, as a group... I, I personally can... have been approached by, you know, a, a number of clubs over the years that uh, wanted to find out a little bit more about how Fremantle did it. Yeah. And, and I'm always, you know... Giving uh, anyone that wants that because that they don't realise that if you um, share your success, they become success. The actual code becomes successful, and that's what we're all aiming for. I think. Well, I can I, I can tell it. you from from personal experience that whenever a, a club has had issues and they've gone to Maurice for advice, he's given sage advice. He's given um, as much support on the field and off the field as he possibly can. Um, and I think anyone that, that knows him has, has had that experience. Um, there are absolutely no secrets about how the merger occurred. It's all out there in, as you said, in public view. Um, everybody knows what's going on. Many people have got it in black and white from you in terms yeah. of how it's all well, that's great. come about. Yeah, and, and advice on if you want to do the same thing, this is what you need to do. These are the, the things that we had to cross and the, the issues we've had and very open and accountable about how it's all happened. And I think, you know, for we, we hear a lot of complaints about there's too many clubs and particularly at the higher end. Um, you've got to put your personal, your club personal things aside. And some, some of the, the fights I've heard of, people have forgotten what they're fighting about, but they still hate <laughs> each other, you know? <laughs> That's um, right. And you need to be able to park all of that and go, okay, so what's in the best interest of the game and what's in the best interest of these two clubs? You know, we've got, you know, clubs with 80, 100 year histories that can and, and would just fall off a cliff if they didn't have this happening. So I think it's a, it is a good way to go. And we, we, can't all be looking to be in the NPL. That there are only currently twelve teams in the NPL, um, and if you say that success is NPL, then all but twelve clubs in this state are doomed to fail. We've got to be the best club we can be, and we need to keep our histories. We need to keep hold of our identities, but we don't have to lose them to be successful. Hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Well yeah. spoken, uh, Sean. Mate, you've been doing this a while, haven't you? So. I have. Yeah. I, look, I, I, I sit quietly in the background, and every now and again, I make a noise that means something. But you know, look, Morris, thank you very much uh, for coming in. Really appreciate it. Always Thanks, a pleasure guys. to meet you. And um, you know, as I said, one of the genuine good guys in football. So it's good to have you in the show. Thank you. And, and I think the success your club has is well deserved. Thank you. Thanks and more to come. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll be back after these messages with uh, Perry Alati from Football West.
Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432-745-140 or simply at www.futsalwa.org.au. You're listening to Community Radio, powered by passionate football volunteers, just like myself. You can appreciate the entertainment by becoming a station member. Hi, I'm Phil Kelly, Chair of the Football West Men's State League Standing Committee. Listen in next for Western Australian local football news. Radio Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. Okay, we're back in the room. I'm just going to make a call to Perry um, and uh, we're just going to talk to Lou about uh, the the Women's World Cup and the the Olympic campaign for the Matildas. Yeah, the, um, well, the success of the Women's World Cup, um, I don't know if everybody noticed, but um, during the week, uh, Arsenal in the English league, played Liverpool, and it was the um, uh, world record of uh, a local game. Um, the crowd was fifty four thousand one hundred and eleven people who actually turned up to watch a, just a, a domestic women's game, and we wouldn't have had that years ago. And um, going to the um, French World Cup to see the atmosphere here in Australia was uh, leaps and bounds a lot higher than it was uh, that we have found here in, um, that are found in France. It was so low key compared to what it was now uh, in in Australia. So we've um, the FIFA president coming across and say it was the most successful women's tournament was a feather in our cap. Yeah. And now we got the interest of the Matildas that we've gone from a. And, and, game, and games in Perth, and from a small ground of HBF to go yeah. to Optus Stadium, and it's we're getting close to sell out. It's great, Fantastic. isn't it? You know, brilliant just, for the game. Yeah. And All it, right, mate. Um, we've got Perry on on the line now. So, um, good morning, Perry. How are you? Morning, gents. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Good, thanks. Um, you've been in your post for about 18 months. It's quite interesting. I, I look around the interwebs and commentary and everything else, and they always talk about, you know, people, football people being in, in football, um, and then there's this illusion that we don't have football people in um, in Football West. I point out that the, the record games holder is actually the CEO of Football West, but um, then they go, oh, yeah, but the rest of them. But you yourself were a, were a well-credentialed player. 
Oh, that's probably the nicest thing. <laughs> I think you might be the only one that thinks that, Sean. But uh, uh, um, I, I, I yeah. do too. I actually watch you play. Barry. I, I'm I'm a fellow defender, so I, I understand <laughs> it. Uh, lose a referee, so he knows nothing about football. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I know nothing. Though. Yeah, but you were you were at Perth for a long time as, as a player. You played in their first team. You played in some successful championship winning teams. So you know you've you, you've been out there. You've trod the boards. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, guys. I do. I, I was lucky enough to play uh, at Perth pretty much one club the whole time, actually, from my juniors uh, all the way through to seniors. Um, so, yeah, I, I've had experience uh, on the grass, which is, is good. Doesn't necessarily mean it translates uh, into the office. But no, I... Um, I, think it, I think it is very helpful, though, to have both perspectives. Yeah, I, I agree. Look, um, I'm a West Ham fan. Um, my, my absolute idol, Bobby Moore, one of the best players England produced was the the worst coach South End United ever had. So you know, it doesn't always translate well, but it doesn't change things. He was a wonderful human being when he was alive. Um, now you're the um, the manager of operations, which means you're running the competitions, um, regional football, uh, participation programs, policy and advocacy, and operation support. It's, it's a big portfolio, mate. Yeah, it is quite big. Probably bigger than I anticipated when I first started. Look, I, I did know a lot about what happened inside Football West. As a player, you probably don't really think about it too much. Um, it was a lot easier being a player. I can tell you that much now. Being inside yeah. uh, the yeah. Football West office, but it is it is a it is a big portfolio. Um, we have uh, a, a small team that bats well above its weight. I think. Um, but yeah, look, there's always something happening. We, you forgot the referees in there as well. Um, I can't forget the referees losing sitting right next to you. But Perry, the, the the thing is, how are you going uh, staff wise? Uh, I know you were short of numbers for a little while um, due to COVID and all that sort of thing. Ha, have you guys? I mean, we we're just talking about the success of uh, the, the World Cup, um, which brought the portfolio and the um, the profile of the game a lot higher than it has been before. Now, you're going to get a lot of reg- more registrations that so we're going to be a victim of our success, which means you guys are going to have a need a lot more staff to cater for this. The, the local government's going to have a, have a lot more fields to allow all these extra players to play. Used to, they won't have extra fields. No, well, yeah, well, can't just make them. No, but mm. this is the thing. You have to start looking at sharing. Maybe instead of just having Saturday afternoon games, you might have to have night games, you know. Mm. What, what's the feeling within Football West of this, um, this extra interest in our game? Yeah, this is something I talked about uh, last night, actually, with Penny at the uh, Referees Awards briefly. But um, it's a good problem to have, Lou, I think. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Having that... Pr- yeah, it is, but it's always there's always going to be something to solve because of that. And, um, yeah, more players is going to be great. Facilities is probably going to be the big issue. I think we're already hearing from some of our clubs about the interest already in, in registrations for next year, yeah. about new people wanting to play the game. And, and they're already telling us that we're just running out of space already. So I don't know where we're going to put these. I, I think it's just interesting so, that, that that's thrown to you as your problem. I, I see that as the clubs themselves need to be negotiating with council. And, and by all means, uh, you know, um, you can offer some support, but you can't interact with every single council and every sing- on every single club's behalf. And then when you look at the Northern Corridor with June Lupham, you know, all of those 
clubs in that area. It's it's a it's a, a lot of clubs in a small area with a council that's obviously doing the best it can. But you know, how much of that is your responsibility, and how much ha- has to go back to clubs that you can assist with some of the the wordings that they need to use or some of the strategies they can use. But it's, yeah. it's not a you problem, is it? <clears throat> well, it, it is and it isn't. I think, like Sean, uh, you're probably well aware the clubs run solely on volunteers. Yeah, volunteer um, workforce, and these guys. Are stretched as they are, so I think we I think it, we do have a responsibility um, to help our clubs, and and whether that's going to be at a very operational level with specific local councils, perhaps not. I mean, we always do write letters of support and support clubs whenever they're pushing for something in their area. Yeah. But I think even above that, we need to be advocating uh, at levels above that. So um, you know, we had our parliamentary friends of football, the first ever meeting yep. um, with with government, which I think we're in a probably the best position we've been. And I see um, that's where you should be involved, yeah. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So I, I do think we have some involvement there and, and we do, clubs do reach out to us from time to time asking for support and we have we have a team here, there's a Bid and Bianca in our club support space who um, help our clubs with those kind of resources and helping navigate that. Mm. So, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Do you need more uh, staff to facilitate that, uh, Perry? Because as I said... There's a lot more interest, which means there's going to be more admin work from your your perspective. Am I right? Yeah, or? absolutely. Yeah, of course there is. Of course you're yeah. right. So, I mean, obviously, uh, human resources will grow as, as participants grow. I think that's probably a given. But um, I think we also have to be smarter about the way we do things. Yeah. Because in my, my view, I don't think we can just continue to put bums on seats as long as the game grows because... There's other ways that we can we can work a little bit smarter. So um, with that, we're trying to upgrade our systems and part of our new strap plan will be integrating all our systems um, just so a lot of that manual work disappears for um, us and for, for clubs. And given your history in IT, I would imagine that's something you'd be passionate about. Um, 18 months ago when you came in, just after COVID, there was you know staffing issues. There's a whole range of things. You've had to rebuild basically how Football West operates from the ground up. You've had issues with squaddy which the whole country had um yeah you've negotiated a lot of those extremely well um and i think squaddy as much as people locally were all jumping up and down moaning about the system it was a a nationwide issue not just a wa issue yeah that's right it was it was um nationwide um ourselves football queensland northern new south wales all decided to move uh to squaddy and and just going back to those systems i was talking about this was probably one of those um, one of those areas that we really wanted to to work on, and we didn't want to just replace, uh, you know, league tables and, and fixtures and the way they look on online. We wanted to to move to a system that we could help build mm. um, with our community, and I think that's probably been evident over the last three to six months in particular. It's evolved so much, and will continue to evolve next year to to more than just a competition management platform. Well, things like that, um, you're always going to have. Uh, teething problems anyway and in, until they get full use you're not going to get the feedback of the problems that people are having oh, once, right. you, once you find what the problems are you fix it then you know happy yeah. days i think once it's up and running properly and, and it delivers what it first promised it'll be a great system um and it gives everybody one point of input so that you know we, we're not messing around between three different systems to get results in referees results or reports in that the whole thing just will work seamlessly but it's going to take a little bit of while to get there 
Correct, and that's the vision, Sean. And I think what's more pleasing than ever is that our staff are on board on that. They can see that, so yeah. they've they've really helped push that. But also, we've we've had some some really good clubs. I mean, you probably only see or hear the the negative stuff out there, but we've had some really good clubs uh, come in and help us pilot different things over the course of this year. Mm. Uh, they're really supportive and they're giving us really good feedback on, on how we can make it better. Absolutely. Now, the other thing that you've given lots of club support on, and we just had Maurice Sateri in talking about um, Fremantle, but um, the governance of clubs and the um, professionalisation, particularly of the State League and NPL, um, um, you've been quite vocal in that space and very active in that space in supporting clubs to get their governance right and to... Um, to comply with rules and regulations and, and support them moving forward. Yeah, we, we've tried as best we can to do that. Um, it's it's always going to be hard again with uh, working with volunteers. Everybody's on a slightly different level uh, with their governance. Uh, but what we're trying to do is, particularly from from the top down, uh, or really even from the bottom up, um, trying to help clubs uh, understand at least at the minimum understand where do we need to be. Uh, in next year or two or three years' time, um, and then helping them try and work towards that. So uh, that that's down to our competitions uh, manager, Dan Israel, has been dealing with that a lot, and he's been fabulous at dealing with, with all the different stakeholders. Uh, yeah, so I, uh, I just uh, wonder how we, how we still manage to keep hair, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't, he doesn't have much left, mate. So. No, he doesn't. <laughs> well, don't start talking about hair with me, thanks, guys. Um, in, in regards to the up-and-coming uh, Olympic Games, uh, Perry, what yeah, I, I, know, I, I know a bit's involved in that as well. Uh, great operator, by the way. Yeah. Um, what, what is the involvement with Football West as far as that's concerned? Uh, yeah, so we're, we're, we're obviously we're assisting Football Australia with uh, getting their volunteer workforce together for those matches over the course of that week. Um, so a bid landed back in our office at a pretty opportune time, I think. Uh, it's pretty convenient that uh, he was running that for FIFA and now he's come back into our office at the right time to help us um, do that on the ground here with for Football Australia. Um, so I think we need some 65 uh, volunteers for that, that week. Um, so we're, we're helping with that. Obviously, I, I think uh, the Matildas will be training out of the football centre while they're here. It's, um, that we've been told strictly that they're here to to qualify, um, so um, they're pretty strict about their training regime for that week. Um, so with, with anything on the ground, really, we've, we've been we've, uh, Football Australia came out about three weeks ago to to see the facilities. So we're helping them with some training equipment and, and whatever else they need so that Matildas uh, perform at their best for those three games. And I suppose that leads us neatly into another thing. The, the State Football Centre was um, just an idea when, when you came into post. It's, it's now actually bricks and mortar and operating. Um, and most of that you, you've been um, involved in. And I know there's, there's lots more other than the, the, the um, World Cup and the Olympic teams training out of there. There's obviously been all the cup finals. We've got a festival of walking football in there in a couple of weeks. Um, but there's there's seems to be now like the cultural hub for all those kinds of activity. Yeah, it is, and it's really exciting to see. It's funny you say that because we've had the paranationals here this week. So yeah. first time that a, a national championships has been held here, any national championships, and um, our boys, our WA boys, are in the final today at 12.30, I think it is. Wow. Um, so it's, it is a, today is going to be a big day. I think um, 
they have been close, the WA boys, but today yep. they're looking like um, they might go one better, so good luck there. But uh, apart from that, we, I mean, the facility's here for a football community, so yep. we want to make it available for as many football activities as possible. So my um, first so we, guest today was Tony Campbell, who is with the State School Boys. Um, obviously, the next year, the State School Boys Championships will be held in WA, so um, are we offering up the State Football Centre for that? Uh, if Tony Campbell gets in touch with us, we, ha- we had the School Sports Association doing their their finals here about four or five weeks ago. Yeah. So absolutely, those those type of events are the type of events we'd love to have here. Absolutely. No, it's good. One thing he raised, though, was the, the, the um, working together with school uh, football and Football West. Is, is there something in the future that you guys are going to combine, uh, allowing players to come from clubs and... Uh, football West um, areas that they can recruit a bit more from Football West than, than just having to select few from the schoolboys? Sorry, I, I didn't quite understand that one. Uh, well, I suppose, look, from Tony's um, conversation we had this morning, it seems like the state schoolboys operate completely independently outside of Football West um, and receive no support. In from from them in promotion, um, particularly in the regions, but um, locally, and then there's been some issues, um, according to Tony, around availability of players that are in different clubs or different um, entities within Football West. So oh, it's right. just about whether or not there there's going to be a bit more working together because I suppose obviously we're we're all in the same game and we all want to to move. Succeed and succeed together. Yeah. yeah, I suppose that's that's the point that they they whether it's them or whether it's you and I'm I've neither here nor there on it. But um, obviously, if the two were working together, it would probably be a better option for all of us. Yeah, I agree, Sean. I'm probably not uh, across that as much as Gareth is. Gareth Navin's our policy and advocacy manager there with the yeah. state teams, and he's doing an unbelievable job there. His boys mm. made the uh, the semi-finals just last week, but yeah, yeah. Sure I, I do. Yeah. I do agree that, um, I, you know, my personal opinion is too many individual agendas in football, unfortunately. I agree. Which, um, yeah. We need to, Has we always need to try been. and get rid of that. Yeah, although looking, I, I from from a walking football perspective, I mean, it's a a new and emerging sport. I think we've got four or six different bodies within Australia that are operating it, and, and no one seems to want to to share or is able to share. But I think you know, when you look at what benefit it brings to particularly our older people, um, I'd like to see that come in somewhere within the Football West umbrella, and and how that works, I do not know. But you know. I think when you look at the emergence of the English FA, that was how that started. There were four or five different bodies across England, all running different mm. rules. And when you're in the first, you know, 10, 20 years of a, a new and emerging sport, futsal's been the same. Um, you know, we, we just need to find a path to unification. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, I just I don't think it's isolated to our sport. It's definitely not isolated to oh, no. sport alone either. No. But I, I think w- when you when you're looking uh, at all these different groups, I think there's always the fear that oh, if we uh, if we work with them, we're going to lose something here. We we don't want to let go of the reins. But you know, uh, in my experience, I think it just uh, takes probably a few roundtable discussions with all the the individual or to get collectively really mm. to, to discuss what is it that we're trying to do here. Ultimately, mm. we're all trying to do the right thing, yeah. the same thing. 
But that's so a problem, Perry. People, people don't pick up the phone and say, let's go down and sit down and talk about it. Oh, this. yeah. Look, and, and with Walking Football, we're, we're going to be hosting the um, Asia Pacific Championships in Perth next year. Uh, and I do know that in the background, people are talking to Football West about using the State Football Centre. So it's good that yeah, we are do, doing that. Um, and I think we need to just in, increase that involvement. And as, as you say, people are much afraid that they'll lose control. Um, if losing control is in the best interest of football, that has to then happen. And, you know, it, it has to, everything we do must be within the best interest of football. Exactly. And that's, that's how we try and operate in here. And yeah. I think that's how most people try to operate, but it's probably just down to communication, Sean. Yep. Like you said, just pick up the phone. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. so 18 months from now, or you've been in 18 months, so 18 months from now, where do you, where do you think we would need to be uh, well, your biggest challenges. Look, I, yeah, look, there's there is a lot of challenges, I suppose, and there's a lot of things to think of. But um, you know, what, what uh, I can tell you, what we focus on in here, it's um, it's probably just progress because um, w- w- you know a lot of people aim for perfect and and try and uh, try and get that silver bullet, but um, we're, we're aiming for progress. So we're going to continue to work on um, the things that we've started on. That for a, for a start is building a great team internally, which I think we're starting to do. Um, a resilient team and, and the team that really wants to be here working for the for the community. Well, and I, continue to work on our systems. If I can just well. interrupt Sorry, you just okay. for just one moment, I've had uh, club presidents just e- emailed me and said, Abid and Bianca are amazing volunteers with significant legal responsibility. They they're um, yeah. yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, so two of your team there getting a, a good boost from from one of the the, the club. Um, yeah, but there's presence. a lot of unsung heroes yeah. in, in the oh, background I know that. that people don't yeah. know. And well, how things are going in the regions as well, Perry. I mean, I'm sure that's going up uh, exponentially as well. Yeah, well, um, this year has probably been um, our biggest year in the regions for quite some time. So we've managed to get uh, participation officers on the ground in, in every single region. Um, we've had our TSP, and our, uh, which is our talent support program, our skills acquisition programs running in every region as well. So we've had bigger numbers than ever before in those areas. Um, that ga- the games are continuing to grow there. And, and the more importantly, I think, the um, again, it comes down to communication, but we're working closer than ever before with yeah. the associations in the region. Um, and they're also working together now, which is um, really encouraging. So, uh, look, the regional game, I think, is probably one it's a bit of a sleeping giant there, so we just need to work out how do we I, can continue to assist them. Did I see that Kalgoorlie took out the social cup the other day? Um, so yeah. that's that's good, you know. That's that's great that that's happening. But they're one of the biggest regions. The, oh, I know in, that. In, but in but Al- Albany have got a big region down there, and as well, a good yeah. friend of mine, Benny Bunbury. Harris, is involved down there. Um, Bunbury's another been huge in Country Week for years. When I was at Albany, yeah, exactly. um, you know, Country Week was 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 it? That was the big moment for all of us. So yeah, th- yeah. some of those things are going really really well. Um, for myself, um, the progression of promotion relegation right through to MPL has been a, a major achievement, and I think that's just going to make all those state leagues stronger. Um, I'd like to see a, a move towards professionalising those leagues and obviously not just professionalising on the pitch but professionalising off the pitch. Yeah, we're talking about the state leagues, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, state leagues, MPL, yeah. Yeah, yeah look, and I, that was probably one of the one of the reasons... Another reason for us to, to, 
to bring in this um, playoff promotion relegation piece because um, it was previously pretty difficult for a state league uh, club to, to gain promotion. And likewise, it was very hard for any NPL club to be tipped out unless they uh, they um, finished bottom. But um, what the feedback we've had from, particularly obviously from the state league clubs, is that we've got something to play for all season. We're playing up until the very last uh, the, the last game of the season, and we know that if we finish top four, we're going to have an opportunity. So what that does is it it, it helps the, it helps them, I guess, stay motivated, and it, it also helps them improve their facilities, improve their governance, improve yeah. their administration because they know that if they do finish top four, they, they need to have all those in place, all those things in place. And there's, there's other little things that need ironing out. At the moment, I think the State League finished four or five weeks before the amateurs do uh, and if they lined up, then at least the playoffs that would, you know, they'd both go into the playoffs with uh, relatively equal um, playing experience, but they're minor things that can be ironed out. Um and I think, you know, look, over the, the course of, of the, the last few years, COVID's been a massive shadow across where we've come from and where we are now. Now COVID's, as I predicted, is now just a background noise. Um, we can start to progress a, in a much more structured way. And I think, you know, that there needs to be points of separation between um, Sunday amateurs and Saturday state league. And a lot of that is around, to, to my way, of thinking facilities, the spectator experience, because I would hate to be stood there at a, an NPL game being charged $10 to bring my own chair and sit in the rain. Um, <laughs> you know, and no, obviously, we've, we've, we've got to think about this is a we're in an entertainment industry. If someone can Correct. sit in a nice stand like they do at Kingsway, like they do at Perth, like they do at Ashfield, and watch the game undercover, that's a great start. But if the entertainment then is also that they're in reasonable surrounds um, and they feel that they're, they're being entertained, that's, that's the biggest part. And we'll get less complaints about the, the standards. I played for a club that, that went under because the, the ground expectations were, were um, too much. And in this day and age, we, we could still be playing in the NPL. So um, I don't think there's any, any harm in having standards and just little things. I hate going to a game at, at that level and seeing the scoreboard read home and away. You know, it, it's a little thing, but it's annoying. I'd like well, to. Some of them don't even have a scoreboard. No, I know I, that. I, I went up yeah. to one of the clubs and said, "If you want a scoreboard, come to me. I'll sponsor you to yeah. get one." Yeah. I mean, you, you just walk into the ground, you see a game going on. Yeah. You, the first thing you're looking at, what's the score? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just simple things like that. But you know, uh, and we've talked about Hilton Park and with um, Marisa and about you know not being able to fence it off at this moment in time but again if you've got those standards and we give clubs times to grow into those standards um it gives them something they can go to council with and and you know we, we build the game and we talk about not having what the eastern states have um and we moan about it without actually saying well what can we do about our own backyard first yeah that's right sean and and this is why we've got i mean the the football australia club licensing requirements i'm not sure how familiar you are with those but that the reason they've come into play this year for all our uh, MPL and state league clubs, and uh, there's A, B, and C criteria across uh, five different pillars, and and these clubs know that they have to walk to work towards uh, at least meeting the A criteria, yep. which addresses some of the things you've already talked about, like you know uh, scoreboards, 
grandstands, facilities, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Uh, for any listeners out there that don't have a scoreboard, please dial in. Lou is happy. It's not unlimited, sorry. No, that sound grab's going out on the on the website <laughs> as we speak, but yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Perry. Yeah, Look, Perry, um, no worries, I'm sure I could talk to you for a, a lot longer about what you do. Um, there's It's such a huge portfolio, and we've only touched briefly on little parts of it. Um I like the way you, you've gone about your business, very quietly gone about it, but you know, we, we are actually seeing some benefits of it at the moment and long may that continue. Um, the only fear that Lou and I have is like everybody else, once we get someone who's any good at their job, they seem to go off to something bigger and brighter. Hey, don't you dare leave, Perry. <laughs> You're doing a great job. Keep it up, mate. Well done. Thanks, guys. We appreciate the support and so does the rest of the team in here for sure. So uh, hopefully looking forward to a bigger and better 2024. Thank you very much for your time, Perry. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Perry Elati, Football West. Um, yeah, General Manager Operations. A huge portfolio, but he is doing a, a terrific job. And oh, I, I know it's it's not a job that everybody wants, but, you know, it, he's doing it. And got to give him credit for it. And he'll continue on as long as he ke- continues to get the support. Um, and it's very easy for people to criticise others, but when you put yourself in that position yourself, then, as he just said, he didn't realise how difficult the job was until he walked into it. So you've got to go into those sort of positions to actually appreciate what they actually do. Yeah, absolutely. And work with people, not against them. It's very exactly. easy for the keyboard warriors to throw out barbs, <laughs> yeah. but, you know. There's plenty of them. Absolutely, there is. Okay, we're going to go to a break. We'll be back after this with Hayley Roach, the Lost Lioness. Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432 745 140 or simply at www.futsalwa.org.au. Hi, I'm Peter Skeeler. Everyone seems to think I'm the ultimate wingman and full of helpful information. It's true, I am. My passion is trivia and Australian football statistics. Check out aleaguestats.com, my website where you can follow all the stats and results from the men's and women's A-leagues from the beginning of time, or at least 2005 and 2008 respectively. You're listening into the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle, and we appreciate you tuning in. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. Okay, we're back in the room, and joining us now is Hayley Roach, the Lost Lioness. Hayley, how lost are you now? There's no World Cup. Hello, hi, um, thanks for having me again today. Um, yeah, so uh, the World Cup seems like almost like a distant memory with the uh, new leagues already starting um, yeah. last week. But um, um, yeah, no, um, yeah, literally, generally, it feels like it never happens sometimes. Um, 
in, uh, incredible, uh, incredible tournament and the legacy the piece that continues, um, you know, with the commentary around the World Cup is, is just brilliant. Oh, look, there's a real buzz around, just not, well, I know it's in Australia about the women, uh, and Australian women, but I see that resonating across the world. The only place I really don't see it happening is Spain, where they're saying, show me on the doll where he touched you. But, um, <laughs> you know, the incredible fallout over there to win the World Cup, sack the winning coach, sack the, 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 um, head of your organization. There's, you know, that's who, else, who else could who else could do that but the Spanish? Really, you know, it's it's just incredible. Well, hang on. What, what happened to the Matildas coach when we were number four in the world? He's now the Perth Glory coach. Yeah. Well, he was. The, what happened here? He was the Filipino coach <laughs> during the World Cup, but he's look. He's here and he's doing a good job. And his um, offsider in uh, Alex's was also his offsider in the Philippines campaign. We signed a Filipino striker for the Perth Glory women. So, you know, it's. I think they're, they're doing well. I think he'll, uh, Stadge will be a good coach for us. Oh, absolutely. But, you mm. know, going back to the women's football, Hayley, you would have been uh, quite chuffed to see, you know, Arsenal versus Liverpool with 54,000 fans watching just a local game over there. Yeah, and I was going to I was going to mention that as uh, some of the highlights from the first week of the Women's Super League in England, and I think that is only the the start of things to come. I think there will be some bigger fixtures this this season in the Women's Super League that will I think will smash that. So I was having a look through the fixtures, yeah. and of course, Man United versus Man City. Um, that isn't until March of next year, but I think that could pop. That is one of the fixtures that I think could probably even smash that for a domestic women's game in the UK. There's a passion there in the clubs, you know, like the men's, like Man U hating Liverpool. And this, oh, yeah. You yeah. know, in the women's yeah. game yeah. as well. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Wow. So we've got a lot to look forward to then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the Arsenal-Chelsea um, fixtures, whether they be the men's team or the women's team in the UK, um, you know, are, are proper serious. Um, you know, serious uh, events. So yeah, it's kind of carried over, um, and uh, and it's it's great. It's really great. Oh, look, and there's a lot of good games coming up. I think Chelsea City are this week. Um, that should be a blockbuster, and again, that that should draw a, a big crowd. Uh, yeah, I think so. I was uh, looking at the uh, looking at the fixtures. What we've got, yeah, um, City versus Chelsea. That's a, a good one. I think one of the teams that's going to be one of the teams to watch in the Women's Super League um, this year is, is Leicester City. They've got off to a really um, a really good start. Um, uh, and Man, Man, again, it's the top four. It's the big top four, like it is in the men's club yeah. uh, in the in the men's football. You know, Man United, Man City, Arsenal, and Chelsea. Uh, again, they're going to they're going to be up there for sure. Um, but uh, I'm hoping that we, in, certainly in the women's game, that we we see a few of the uh, few different sides coming through. Um, Aston Villa is one of my favourites. Yeah, I was um, going to say Villa are, are, are starting to threaten that group. Um, yeah, be nice absolutely. to see Leicester threaten that group. Yeah, um, I think Liverpool. Uh, I think Liverpool will be up there yeah. um, as well. Um, I mean, beating Arsenal one nil um, at the Emirates Stadium. Um, that was a match where I had that record crowd. I think um, that will give them a huge boost. Yep. Not so great uh, for the Gunners, um, but for for Liverpool, I think certainly that will give them a, re- a real big boost to take points off Arsenal this early in the season away from home. 
Well, um, yeah, it could be one of those fixtures after to look back on and, and yeah. think, ah, oh, that was, you know, we lost and, those points then. And they have an Aussie to thank for, for getting the point there because uh, Steph Catley stepped up and, you know, with the assist for the goal, um, we also had two yep. two others. Obviously, Ford's been there a, a while, but um, she was subbed off for Cooney Cross. So the Australians um, are certainly starting to make themselves felt as a force within the uh, the Women's Super League. Um, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, there's a, there's a whole there's a list of them now um, that that belong in the Fowler Fowler and Kennedy at City. Um, obviously, Kerr at Chelsea. You've got Mackenzie Arnold's now the captain of West Ham. So yeah, there's a and and then you, you you go out to Europe. There's even more. So you know, um, it, it's nice to see Australians playing in those top leagues um as women rather the men used to dominate but we don't have so many playing in in the top top levels now but what what are we um, looking at uh Hayley, with um coverage you know telecasting if you're a fan out there where can you watch all these games yeah so the bbc um has um i don't uh, they do some of the big games live but they also they have like a match of the day version um of for the Women's Super League, you Fantastic. know, so where Match of the Day is, mm. the, is the roundup of all the Premier League action in the UK, they also have that now for the women's for the women's game. So uh, the BBC, which is the, obviously the main broadcaster, very much covering the women's game. The FA Cup final gets as much, <clears throat> excuse me, gets exactly the same coverage as the men's game does from a terrestrial TV perspective. So domestic football in the UK. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Women's Super League, um, I think it's fast becoming the, the best women's league in the world. Yes. Um, and, I, and I think um, with the, with the it, draws those, it draws the footballers from around the world. Uh, the coverage is, is climbing. Um, the, the facilities are getting better. You know, and like the men's clubs are treating the women's clubs now as very much equals. You look at a website, it's, you can click on the men's team or the women's team. Um, and it's it's just incredible. I love it. Um, yeah, it's been a long time coming, yeah. hasn't it? Really? I, look, I, I, whilst I agree that they're, they're, they're growing in their equality, they're still not equal because the, the Liverpool women don't play out of Anfield. And, you know, we, we need to... Of course. Yeah, and, and the crowds just aren't there at the moment. And we, we always get these arguments about equal pay. But, you know... Um, if you're playing pub gigs, you, you're not going to command the same money as status quo do in a, in a full stadium. So, or ACDC. So, you know, you, you've got to compare apples with apples, but, um, the women's game is growing and, you know, it will, it will get there. We just can't rush it. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you look in the uh, evolution of the men's game and the evolution of the women's game. You know, technically, this is the first 10 years yeah. of, you know, of, of this, uh, women's football and the opportunities and all the rest of it so still very early days and still you're right still has a long way to go but i do love the fact that the clubs are playing those big games at the stadiums um and and a bit further down the league actually uh, sheffield united one of my home local clubs from the uk um they their women's games play at bramall lane yeah. so that's so some of the men's clubs are um you know kind of uh, evolving that and and helping the women game to grow now which um i think that's smart because i think the smart clubs who identify that and support the women you know uh, and have 
some of those games played at the big stadiums, encourage season, you know, good prices on season tickets. I think they're the, I think they're the smart clubs. I think that's, that's the way to go. Oh, without a doubt. And I think, you know, you, you look at any of the big clubs, um, yes, whilst the male team is, is the, the primary focus, um, they do give equal bidding to the women's teams and, and get behind them. I know West Ham have yeah. been inundated with stuff about Mackenzie Young being the goalkeeper and, and captain. So yeah. it's good. Um, you know, for here, if anyone's got Optus to watch the EPL, you also get the, um, the women's league in that as well. And they, they give great coverage on all of the games and mini matches and what have you. So, you know, plenty of places to watch. Um, I suppose the other thing is, is the marketing of the game. And, and if you look at it, um, through England, two, three years ago, the, the WSL was, kind of a, a no, neither here nor there entity the last couple of years they've really started to amp up the the publicity of the game and i think that's where they're going to win um because yeah, it's it's agreed. that media marketing that makes the game and it's one of the reasons why we're behind the eight ball here is because as not being the primary sport in, in the media yeah we we get treated as a second second class citizen but the women's game is is certainly making inroads into that marketing war well, you yeah, think a lot of sponsors there that could target women, you know, with cosmetics and the women products, uh, clothing and so on, that they would use football, with, go out to the masses because whether people like it or not, our code is the number one playing sport worldwide. Participation right? sport, yes, absolutely. Worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you cannot dispute that. It's the world so, game. Well, Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's why Sam Kerr didn't play another code of football because she wanted to play internationally. Yeah. Simple as that. So the the thing is, there's a lot of marketing people out there that I think are still sleeping, have not tapped into the idea of marketing with women football given the participation rate. And some have. You look at FIFA, Kylie Mbappe and Sam Kerr on the cover of FIFA. So, you know, it's it's there. It's happening. Uh, And... You know, look. In my We're opinion, com- the, the women, the so. women. Well, I, I would say that EA Sports are corporate. Um, <laughs> I, I think you know when you look at it, the the women are much much more marketable than most of the men. So um, I'm surprised that we're not utilising that uh, and universal yeah. appeal to men and women. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's just still part of the evolution of of the game and where it where it's going to go and where it will go. I think that maybe even some of the big corporates they could be locked into sponsor deals, you know, for long term and not able to, you know, uh, transition into the women's you know football market right now. Uh, but I think I, I, absolutely, I think if you were a, a, a corporate or an organisation, um, uh, and obviously women, uh, everybody wants certain products need to be targeted there. And I think uh, I think it'll I think it'll come. Um, yeah, no, it's it's very it's just such exciting times for the women's game, um, and uh, the more I look at you know fixtures and I hear record breaking crowds, um, the the more I, I yeah uh, get excited for what's to come. Oh, absolutely! And then just those little things. Um, the English captain um, she picks up a um, oh, what was it in the King's Birthday honours? Um, I don't know. Yes, OBE, um, OBE yes. yes, she picks OBE, up an OBE. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, again, yes, and I think you know again that that's just giving the sports some more credibility, um, and again it's it's just those little one percenters that are making all the difference and about making it mainstream, and I think you know yeah. 
for for every little girl growing up we we need to have positive role models i know since the world cup my granddaughter has decided she's going to be the next sam kerr and wherever she goes she brings a ball with her she was distraught we, we, we went out the other day to, to the skateboard park and the first thing she said when we got there was i forgot my ball <laughs> you know chip off the old block yeah you? oh no it's, well the dad the dad's a very good footballer I'm, I'm just an average punter but um i love the game you know but it's great to see them um, you know, and I think that's that's what we need to have going forward is uh, these girls buying into that whole dream and and seeing it as something that is a legitimate thing to be. You know, and, and uh, nothing there's nothing wrong with aspiring to greatness. No, and uh, there were just that you know when I was around there playing, there was there was none of that at all. So. Um, it is it is wonderful that you know to be a football player now for a, a female is normal, um, but also I'm excited about the uh, the other opportunities that are within football now that are more accessible and achievable for women that again weren't there you know ten or fifteen years ago, um, and that's both. Um, like in the media, being commentators, which is great to yeah, see as well. It's sad as well because I saw Kevin Keegan the other day going that you know yeah. women commentators in football have no place. You idiot! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. Quite a misogynist. That, that, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, very old-fashioned, very out of date. Not, um, yeah, uh, not of these times at all. That's, um, and that's very sad because uh, he, he said it out loud in public. But, yeah. you know, you just want, you just think that there's probably a whole host of other people that agree with him and that support him, um, and they've let him, you know, say it out loud, um, which is which is very sad because I, I do have a feeling he's in the minority, but it's still the challenge that the women are facing is, you know, occasionally a high-profile person will have an opinion, um, and then that's what goes viral, and that's what becomes, um, you know, the topic of conversation. Yeah, it, uh, look, when you look through the comments, though, it, it may have gone viral, but... The, a good 50% of the comments are huge dinosaur-related uh, yeah. comments. So I, I think, you know, it's it's important that we do still understand that people like that do exist in, in high places yeah. and that we challenge that. And I think that that's as... Uh, I'm all for open speech. So if that's the way he feels, he should be able to say it, but then he's also got to be prepared for what comes back. And what's yeah. coming back is... You're, you're mad. There's some very, very good female commentators out there. Um, the World Cup, I thought, um, the, the team that they had was, was brilliant throughout the campaign. Um, all had good, interesting things to say. I, I apologise, I don't know their names, but there's a young English lady, I think she was a former goalkeeper, very, very good, well-spoken, knew her stuff. There was a, a Canadian uh, lady, again, just her, her insights on the game and what the game was about and from a, a player's perspective was just wonderful yep. to hear. And I think, you know, that's that's what we need. We need more women with that profile. Uh, yeah, we do. And, it, you know, again, it's it's coming. Um, and for, I guess for the, for the uh, ex-players who have played at a, at a professional level in the women's game, you know, these, these roles are, are now... Um, you know, they can fulfill these roles and they talk with credibility because they've been there um, and they've done that. Whereas I think 10 years ago, because the women's game didn't have that profile, um, you know, people didn't think that the women could talk with any credibility or with any knowledge or experience. Whereas mm. now, you know, we've got the we've got WSL yeah. has been going for 10 years. And so you've got players coming out of having played in that for almost 10 years and they come away with, 
uh, having that on their CV. And so I think now people do take a bit more notice because, you know, they do know what they're talking about because they've played it, they've lived it. You know, that's been their job and their profession. So they've got that credibility to be able to become those commentators or, yeah. um, you know, those those voices. Um, so, well, we've so had again, a very, it's all part of the evolution. We've had a very strong voice and advocate for, for women's football on this radio station for the past 33 years. So I think, you know, um, <laughs> we're doing all right, Jack. Thank you very much. Um, but no, look, I think it, it's important. I know Penny's been a trailblazer within that, but also th- there's been other people who've gone through this. Um, and I think, you know, the, the more normal it is, and I think there's there's less and less people using the, the term women football. They're using the term football played by women, which is, again, much better. Yeah. And, and they're footballers yeah. in their own right, not you know, female footballers. They are footballers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's been, it has been a bug, uh, one of those, uh, it has bugged me for, for my entire playing career when they... Yeah, they just call it women's football. No, it's football. It's just played by women. It's exactly the same game. Yeah. Um, and the narrative's changing, and it's all brilliant. And before long, um, you know, we won't be having these conversations, right? It'll be it. It'll be something that the grandkids, uh, you know, talk about um, because it'll become, let's hope it, it does kind of continue this trajectory and, and keep pace. And, um, yeah, and before we know it, it won't be a topic of conversation. Which no, exactly. Now, we've got lots of good games coming up in the WSL this this week. We've got um, Brighton and Hove Albion are playing West Ham. Um, as we said, the big one, Manchester City versus Chelsea. Um, Spurs playing Bristol. And you're going to see Bristol back in the league. Um, yeah. Leicester versus Everton and Liverpool, Aston Villa. That'll be a cracking game. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah, so just talking about so Bristol... Uh, Bristol City, it's their first year in the WSL having um, won promotion this yeah. year. Um, they lost their opening game, I think, to Leicester 4-2, mm. uh, but but still still a very credible effort, you know, for their their debut in the in the WSL. So um, yeah, let's uh, see how they kind of fare. Tough game for them against Spurs. Um, this weekend, but they're all going to be tough. They're all going to be tough games. When you oh, there's do, no when easy you, games, is there? Really? Do. No, there isn't. Yeah, and, uh, and then you to the league. City at home to Chelsea, and I believe Sam Kerr might be playing in this one. Uh, yes, I hear the same rumor too. So fingers crossed that we get to we get to see her. See how um, she's shaping up after the after the World Cup. Um, what else have we got? Is, is there a possibility uh, that the crowd numbers for that will exceed last week's Liverpool game? Quite possibly, yep, uh, absolutely. It's it's a big fixture, right? They're big, big yeah. clubs, um, and and but I think this is the way it's going to go. I think literally almost every week there will be a fixture within that league that has the potential to just keep smashing that domestic record. Um, I do you know, hope so. So yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, um, yeah, it's all looking good. I'm just looking through my notes here to see if there was anything else that I wanted to. Uh, just highlight from the women's um, opening week. So Man United, Arsenal last night, 2-2. Um, that was a, quite a fixture with um, uh, Arsenal just equalising um, in three minutes of uh, added time. Wow. Fergie time. Yeah, so... Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it was, absolutely. But, um, um, yeah, so that was... I mean, Arsenal not got off to the greatest of starts. No, they haven't. Uh, no, they haven't. 
Um, and you know they've had some. They've had a lot of movement. Well, there's been a lot of movement actually across all the clubs yeah. in the WSL. Um, but you say you say not the best of starts. But you know Liverpool and, Man- uh, and Manchester United. Um, yeah, in your first couple of games, they're they're another they're contenders to the top four. They've managed to draw with both of them, so maybe not a bad yeah. start, really, when you think about it. Yeah, and it's always uh, it's always the same, isn't it? Clubs finding their place. They've got new players, um, and th- those first few fixtures um, are always a, um, a little bit up and down, while everybody kind of you know finds their groove and and, mm. build, and those new teams kind of get to play together. Um, Man United made um, a they made a few well everybody's like we said everybody's made a few signings but uh, Man United signed Hinata Meazawa the golden boot winner from the World Cup from Japan very so, good signing um, interesting interesting to see yeah how she fits in into the WSL this year so um, yeah some great players to watch one of the players I am excited to see how she does this year is um, Guru Wrighton who plays for Chelsea yep. Um uh, a Norwegian uh, national squad player, but um, a, a goal scorer, a phenomenal goal scorer. Um, well, so let's. I'm really excited. She had a great season last year, so I'm excited to see what she uh, what she kind of uh, pulls out of the bag this year. Um, and Lauren James, so Chelsea, we said earlier, yep. Spurs two one with Lauren James um, getting on that score sheet, um, and Mia Fischel, who has come over from the USA. Um, for a new signing for Chelsea. So some exciting new players coming into the mix um, in the women's in the women's league. And, um, and do you think that um, any, any of the clubs have made better signings than the others or do you think it's, um, they're still... It's a bit of a, yeah, mm-hmm. I was having a look actually through, uh, there's, a, there's just been so many players in and out. I mean, Alessia Russo has gone from Man United um, to Arsenal. So yep. that was quite a big domestic, um, you know, kind of move. Um, I mean, there's been a, a few uh, Sydney FC players move over to Brighton. Yep. Um, I don't know if you saw that, but there's like now three or four new players this season that have joined Brighton from Sydney FC. So um, so that's, uh, that's quite interesting. A um, couple of players from uh, Bristol, some Brighton and Nova Albion have moved over to Bristol. Oh, we've got... Um, uh, another player from uh, Bristol has actually moved over to Sydney, uh, to Western Sydney Wanderers. So there's a lot of movement of players yeah. you know, around the world, actually. So, uh, but um, yeah, and, and Germany. There's some big things, some big signings from Chelsea to Germany. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if I could say that one club over another has made you know better or bigger signings. Okay. It's kind of been across the board, really. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out in, in the season. Yeah. early days yet, but it seems like the top four are going to be the, the four we mentioned. And I think, you know, moving forward, it'll be interesting to see how people like Villa um, can make a difference to that. Um, the the local leagues in Australia, now that you're living here, you, you're taking an interest in that at all, or you're... Um, I haven't as of yet, um, yeah. be, basically because I've been kind of in the off-season. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so I kind of moved over here in uh, May, yeah. when, uh, and then it was just the, the World Cup. Um, and I'm currently in parks in New South Wales at the moment, yeah. and, um, and it's the off-season. So, uh, only, yeah, only for another 10 days or so, it's not, it's not long. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I know, um, but... Um, yeah, no, I'm hoping to, hoping to get involved. I'm going to move back up to the Gold Coast in November 
Um, and so I'm go- going to hope to uh, find a team to play in um, and, and start looking at uh, that Australian football football scene up there. Yeah, it's a very strong scene up there in the Gold Coast. And, um, you know, I think... Uh the, the A League W is going to be a different league this year because of, of the World Cup as well and the interest that yeah. the women's game is attracting across the board. So I think there's, there's lots of good things happening. We're developing, you know, very much a development league. And obviously, if three ladies from uh, New South Wales have gone over, um, you know, Sydney have had a, a great um, number of women playing for the Matildas. So um, it's good that we're developing players that can go over and play at the highest level. Yeah. Yeah. All right then, Hayley. Thank you very much for your involvement. Lovely to talk to you again. Um, Glad you enjoyed your World Cup and your off season. But uh, football starts up good and proper now with the the WSL and the A League W starting. So um, you'll be bleary eyed next time I give you a call. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Have a lovely weekend. Thank you, Hayley. Hayley Roach, the Lost Lioness, always good to have a chat to her. Okay, it's coming up towards the end of the show. Lou's already gone. He's got another engagement. Um, The team will be back in next week. Thank you for listening. This has been the World Football Programme. The Jazz Show with Lenny is following. Join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.